morning. Today we're um, continuing in a series of um, really getting two things, well, three things. First of all, this series is to explain the message of the gospel, and uh, that, that for me is the most precious thing, that we have a chance to um, talk about our faith and the basis for our faith. The second point is we want to begin to, um, in a deeper way, to prepare us to, for us as a church to um, get a flavor of the Alpha course. Some of you have done Alpha before, some of you haven't, but whatever. It's, so we've brilliant Alpha courses on discovering about Christianity right across the church in, in many different ways and formats, I think. And, and thirdly, um, I don't think we'll have time for this today, but um, we, we can never be too well trained on how to share our faith. And perhaps one of the best ways to, to do that is to keep hearing the good news of Jesus, because it, it's simple. Um, it's like a meerkat, isn't it? Yeah, it's simple. But the, the, the scriptures, the Apostle Paul talks about the simplicity of the gospel. So it's not complicated. So who can say, yes, it's not complicated? That's good. It's, it, it's simple. So it's, it, it really it is not that complicated. Um, so I'd like to pray, then we would, I'd like to look in, um, look, um, not look into it. What am I trying to say? Dive into it. <laughs> Father, thank you for your grace. I pray you'll give me strength and wisdom to do a second talk this morning. <laughs> we pray you'd be very close to our hearts and uh, speak to us, Lord, through what, what's been said. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you love the gospel of Jesus and that you will own it and uh, bring power to anoint the words because it's your word, God. So thank you. Amen. Okay. So my, my theme from the talk is how can I have faith? So you could switch it around. How can you have faith? How can you have faith? Well, it was a day that is still burnt on my mind. I did something I really didn't want to do but there was an inner determination to carry out this bizarre act with potential devastating consequences for my relationship with my mum. I went through the door of Enderby Co-op in Leicestershire and went to the manager's counter and I said these words, Mr Bates, I have something to tell you. I stole some fireworks last year and I've come to repay them. Repay the cost. I didn't know what his response was going to be, but his reply was worse than saying he would call the police. He said, you, you, I thought you were a good boy. I'm going to tell your mother of you. That put more fear into me than him having said he'd call the police. Shell-shocked, I walked out of the co-op. I can still remember it as if it was yesterday. I walked out of the co-op, mixture of fear and relief. It became more relief as I realised I'd obeyed Jesus because he asked me to go and do it because that's what his teaching says. If you've done wrong, go and admit it. And I felt an exhilaration in my life. I'd done it. I was 11 years of age. My parents soon discovered, however, 
something had happened to me because my behavior began to change. A new life deep inside had begun. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians in Corinth, that's modern-day Turkey, by the way, said this, those who become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore, for the old life has gone and the new life has begun. You see, being, how would you become a Christian? Well, just because we live in what's called a Christian country, and I have to question that nowadays, but being in a Christian country doesn't make you a Christian any more than you would have been born in a McDonald's I can't say restaurant. Is it a restaurant? McDonald's restaurant, and you, you become an hamburger. It just doesn't work like that. So, what is a real Christian? A Christian is a Christian, somebody who has Christ into their lives, someone who follows Jesus and who puts their faith in Jesus. That's what a real Christian is. Now, I was 11 years of age. Is anybody 11 here today? I just wanted to see Anvi, you're 11. No, no? Okay. <laughs> In heart, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jazz. You're encouraging me. I was 11 years of age when it happened to me. Before that, I wasn't a Christian. My parents weren't Christians. They were happy for me to start attending church so they could have a lion in the morning and not bother what naughty things I'd be getting up to. I started attending what was called a family service at a parish church and I saw something that really intrigued me. I still remember this too. There were some people in this congregation who were worshipping God with such joy and they spoke about Jesus if he... If they knew him personally. And I'd never seen that before. And you know what? I wanted that. They were just so different. I now know why. And so I asked one couple, I want what you, or blurted out, I want what you've got. They explained to me about the good news of Jesus. And even at that young age, I realized I was quite artful at being sinful, sinful, especially with thieving, swearing, and blasphemy. I was an apprentice. But I became a Christian. What happened was I went, I went back and I, I, I got a Bible from being in the Church Lads Brigade. I was given a Bible. And they said to me, read John chapter 3. And I, I got down on, on my knees and I read from John chapter 3 these words. But God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And as I read those words... Something happened to me, like a light came on, and I started to cry, realizing that even as an 11-year-old, I can't say I was a good sinner, but I, I, I was um, accomplished, and I felt really convicted in my conscience of what I had done wrong. I mean, the conscience is a real gift from God. 
that's, we're not the same as animals, you know. Animals haven't got a conscience. They're not, you are unique, and you're given a conscience, and that's a good thing, because God alerts you to when you n- have done something wrong, or you, you should do that. That's right. So this is a gift from God, that my conscience was really on fire. And so I knelt by my bed, and I said, please, Jesus, I believe you died for me. Please forgive me for my sin. And something happened. I started to cry. And I kid you not, as I knelt there by my bed, tears began to roll down my head, my, my cheeks, and the tears dropped on John chapter 3, verse 16. Something happened to me in that moment that transformed and is still transforming my life. So, what is a Christian? I've explained to you, it's when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The New Testament says that we can know that we are real Christians. It's put like this in John's Gospel. To all who believed him, this is John writing this, to all who believed him, to those who received him, in his name, believing in his name, he gave the power and right to become children of God. So it's believe and receive. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you receive him into your life, he gives you the right and the power to become real Christians. That's what was happening to me in those moments. You see, you can know this morning when you go out this door, that you have become a real Christian. You can know you have faith. You can know you have eternal life. So what is faith, this confidence, this assurance based on? Well, it's based on three things, a bit like the three legs of this tripod. Each of them is essential to real faith. The first one is the word of God, the scriptures. Pete shared this morning about the importance of the scriptures. And you've heard in my story how, for me, reading from John chapter 3.16, it's like like an explosion going on in my life. It all begins to make sense. It's based on facts, not fictions or feelings. Because our feelings go up and down, but the facts remain facts. So I know I'm married. Okay, I just know I'm married because I can sometimes find a marriage certificate. <laughs> I'm looking at my wife because she makes sure I never lose it. But if I want to prove, am I really married to this gorgeous woman? I'll go and find it and I, I am really married to her. That's, that's fact because it, it's, it's in the document. And even more so, when do I know I'm a real Christian? I go back to what the Bible says. that If we believe in Jesus Christ we'll have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul writes this, faith comes by hearing, that's what I did, and hearing through the word of God, the Bible. This is powerful stuff, this book. It's really, really powerful. It's the most powerful book in the whole world because God speaks to us through it. It's a living book, like a living word. And that's what I did. I didn't have faith before, 
I started reading the Gospel of John, and I had faith. This is a way we can interact and connect with God. God speaks to us through the Bible. And when we come to the Scriptures and start reading, I do recommend Gospel of John. It's wonderful. Faith begins to come. There's a verse in the Scriptures with a promise, and I like verses with a promise. It comes towards the end of the Bible in, in a book called the Book of Revelation. Now, it's a bit complicated, that book. I'm still learning some of that. It's like, there's one or two bits I, I knew early on God was speaking to me through. It was in the Book of Revelation 3, verse 20, where John, the apostle, he has this, this vision, and he writes down what Jesus is saying. So the Revelation is, is a, um, a prophecy that Jesus gave to, to John, and he wrote it down. And Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What's he talking about? He's talking about the door of our lives and it's God himself wanting to come into our lives. I'm going to let you into a secret. If you don't know this, Jesus was not just a great teacher. He just, he was, he just didn't live, I mean, he lived in um, Israel, but he was God coming in human forms. And when we talk about Jesus coming into our life, we're talking about God coming into our life. That's what we're talking about. It's God. Oh, God, I, if you exist, please, has anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, if you exist... <laughs> Please show me. And he's, what he's doing now is wanting to knock at the doors of your life. I want to come, even though your heart now might be going, oh, something's happening to me. It's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your life because God wants to be in you, because he wants to be your friend. When Jesus said, I'll come into, his, come into your life and eat with you, what a sign of friendship that is, that God would want to come and have friendship with you. But that is the gospel. People said of Jesus... He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. Why? Because he just loved being around sinners. Because it was God's love in human form. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. There's a pre-Raphaelite artist called Holman Hunt, and he illustrated this verse with a painting. I'm going to ask if the, it, excellent. Can you see that? It's it's, um, it's a quite remarkable painting, and he painted th three pictures, almost the same, and one of them of, of the Jesus at the door, Revelation 3:20, and one of them is in St Paul's Cathedral, and it's called Jesus is the Light of the World. It's the most remarkable painting, and you can actually get you buy cards with them on, can't you? We, we got some, didn't we, for Alpha course? And it's a, and somebody came to to, to, to Holman and they said, um, "Great painting, but you've made you've left something out." And he said, "What do you mean? I've left something out?" He said, "The person said, there's no handle on the door." And he said, "No, no, 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 no." I didn't leave it out. There was not a handle on the outside of the door. The handle is on the inside of the door. 
Because that, what that typifies is that Jesus will only come into our lives when we open the door ourselves for him to come in. As a guest, we invite him in. And there'll be, there's, a, there's a handle on the door of your heart that Jesus himself can't open from the outside, but you can if you, if you open it up and Jesus will come in. We're going to look about that, more about that in a moment. In other words, Jesus is not going to force his way into your life. He stands and knocks at the door and he leaves it up to you and me to decide whether to invite him in. But his promise is this. If anyone hears my voice, and that's that internal voice who speaks to our consciousness, our internal voice, he will come in. You can be sure if you invite him in, he will come in because he's never broken a promise because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. How can I trust you? How can I trust in Jesus? You see, just talked so well about this last week. Jesus not only died on the cross, but he was raised again from the dead. That's unique. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. And that was proof he wasn't just a great teacher, but he, is, he was who he says he is, and he's God. So we can trust him. It's unique. It's, it's hard facts. The second leg, okay, on this tripod is the work of Jesus. In a phrase, it's done, not do. That's the basis of our faith. It's done, not do. You see, Jesus' last words on the cross were, after he suffered... It's finished, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's finished. Something happened on that hill called Calvary, the place of the school, that's what the locals called it, because the rock formation looked like a school, a school of a human being. Something happened supernatural there that affects you and me, and it can change our lives on that day, all that time ago. It's supernatural. See, we can point to an actual fact in history as a basis for our faith and our trust. I, we've been to Jerusalem and we um, had a privilege of going, didn't we? we, we want, I wanted to see Calvary. You know, I went out the um, Damascus Gate. We were um, living in a, a hotel there um, for a few days. And... Behind a bus station, you can see the place of the school. It's there. You can see the rock formation. It's still that. There. What, what was the writers talking about? Now, above the bus station, Jesus died on the cross. 
Obviously, the bus station wasn't there at the time. It could have been a camel station. I don't know. The scriptures don't say that. But we know he died on Calvary, at the place of the school. Sometimes people say, well, I don't think I could become a Christian because I'm not good enough. And if I was going to be a Christian, they'd say, there's lots of things in my life that I need to sort out. No, 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 no. You come exactly as you are. This is the beauty of this wonderful mystery, this story. It's not about what you do and what you can achieve. I'll try a bit harder and God might accept me. It's about what has been done for you by Jesus on the cross. It's finished. There's total forgiveness. What about this, Jesus? What about that? I forgive it. I can, I can deal with that in your life. You can know my peace and my life in you. You see, Paul writes this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Good deal. <laughs> Good deal. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God's eternal life. We get so suspicious, particularly English people, we think we know God is offering this free gift, but there must be a catch somewhere. There isn't a catch, it's free. But it's not cheap. It's not cheap because it took Jesus to live a perfect life, not react to people. And on that cross, on that cross, when people were laughing at him and sneering at him and abusing him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's the measure of love we're talking about. That's what God is really like. And he wants to come into our life so that we can learn to forgive. We can learn, learn not to react to people's abuse. And we receive it through faith and repentance. Repentance sounds a heavy word, but it means turning away from the bad stuff and the bad thinking to changing our mind about that. And actually, that stuff doesn't do us any good anyway, thinking like that. But turn away from that and embrace what God's got for you. You see, people can be stuck in many things. You could be stuck in intense rejection. You hate yourself. Perhaps somebody says something to you. And you can't, many years ago, like, you'll never be any good. I don't know what your heart condition is, but God knows. And he can change your heart condition. But you might not love yourself. But God loves you, and he accepts you as you are. We all want to be accepted, but we look in the wrong places for that acceptance. Get rid of the junk, turn away from it, turn away from that way of thinking, and embrace God's love for you will be transformational. That makes sense, doesn't it? Please say yes. Well, don't say anything, but it's that, that's the gospel. And sometimes, sometimes people talk about the cost of being a Christian. The cost of being a Christian is nothing compared to the cost of not being a Christian. I'm going to be serious here, more than even everything else so far. 
and that was serious. But one day, we will all die. When, we're young, when I was young, uh, somebody said to me, you'll have arthritis by the time you're 45, with cycling and playing that football and all that. I said, I don't want to be alive at 45. <laughs> but you get to 45 and you want to live. <laughs> um, one day, we'll all have to stand before God and give an account of our lives. And he's not going to be counting like a scale, well, you did more good than bad, so I'll let you in. It doesn't work like that because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of, if you do it once, yeah, that's it. You're scuppered. But God found a better way in forgiving us if we receive him. So why should I let you into heaven? God may ask you. Your reply could be this. When you knocked on that Sunday morning, when I knocked on your doors of your heart that Sunday morning, you opened your life to me. That's all that's needed. Did you receive me? Fully received him who believed in his name. He gave them the power and the right to become children of God. That's the second leg. And the third leg... It's the Holy Spirit in our lives. The third leg of this tripod is a witness of the Holy Spirit working transformation in our lives. In that verse we looked at in Revelation 3.20, Jesus was knocking, if anybody opens the door, I will come in, and by his Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus comes and lives within us. Just think about that for the rest of the day. When you add Jesus into your life, the Spirit of God comes and lives in you. It's a bit, Jesus um, illustrated it a bit like this to a man called Nicodemus who was desperate to know God in a real way, not, just through, not through laws and religion. And, and Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And he, he's a bit quizzical about this. Well, what does that mean to be born again? And Jesus said, well, it's like the wind. You see the wind in the trees, but you can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. It's like that when you become a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit transforming lives. Transforming lives. And so you see the effect of Jesus in people's lives. The Apostle Paul said this, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, the things that start to change when a person comes to live within, uh, when the Spirit comes to live within us, is this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, the Spirit will bring joy. The Spirit will bring peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These are all things that people strive through life. They can pay thousands of pounds, sign up for loads of courses. Yeah. If I had that beauty cream, there's so many beauty creams now on the market, I, I, you know, when it comes on the adverts, I don't, how many more do you need, you know? They spend people trying to find the answer. Yet the answer's right here. When God comes into our life, a transformation takes place. And the Holy Spirit produces these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What's happened to you? You've changed recently. Ah, 
let me tell you my story. Because Jesus has come into my life. Ah. Somebody said to my friend, who'd become a Christian, he said, the thing is you've been brainwashed. <laughs> and my friend said, he's very sharp, he said, yeah, but I've got a clean brain. <laughs> you see, these are the kind of the ways the Holy Spirit will change us. Being a Christian doesn't make you better than others, but hopefully it makes you better than you were before. It's a life transformation, and it goes on until one day we'll see him as he is, and we'll be transformed totally then into the image and the likeness of Jesus. See, the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we experience his love for us. And indeed then, our love for him. The prophets of old declared there will come a time, a moment in history, when God would accomplish something quite remarkable. He would produce heart transplants of the soul. These, old pro- these prophets of old looked through time and they could see that there were these people's hearts were hardened. But he said, one day, I'll be able to take away the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, of tenderness, of kindness, of meaning, non-retaliation, blessing rather than cursing. That's what the Holy Spirit can do in your and my life. And God offers you an exchange like no other today, a new heart and a fresh start, and a power to live and love differently. And for anyone who is born again by God's spirit becomes a new person. It's a a new person. You can go in here and you go out new. That's what God can do when his spirit comes into our lives. I'm going to read out a prayer in a moment that you yourself can pray. It's a prayer saying sorry for the past, thanking Jesus for what he's done on the cross for you and inviting him to come into your life by his spirit I want to say this, God's ears are very, very sensitive. He can hear the whisper, the quietest whisper. But I'm going to ask you to do something else as well. I'm going to ask you to be courageous. Because it takes courage, it takes guts to be a a real follower of Jesus. When you pray this prayer, and if if you're going to pray that, it's the first time. I'm going to ask everybody's eyes to close. But if you're, if you're meaning that for the first, if, if, if yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to open my life to you, Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand and have the courage and the guts to stand and acknowledge you want to follow Jesus. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. And as profound as that. So let's just close our eyes and stay, stay close and just focus on Jesus, knocking at the door of our lives, coming, the light of the world. So I'm going to say the prayer. If you really mean this, you can whisper it or whatever what, but don't just think it, say it one night at a time. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you love me so much. I now turn away from everything that I know to be wrong all that bad stuff. 
thank you that you died so that I could be forgiven. I put my trust in you and in what you did on the cross. And now I open the door of my heart and invite you to come in to my life by your spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So I'm going to ask something really courageous from you. Please, will every head be bowed and eyes closed while Barney's just strumming his guitar. If you've made that prayer and you now now want to make a decision, will you stand to acknowledge that yeah, you want him into your life? might be 10, you might be 20, you might be 50, you might be 70. today as a result of this time together we'd see more sons and daughters come into glory of knowing you in their own life